0: Let's uh, join Elise Glink. Welcome back, Elise.
1: Oh, nice to be here, John.
0: Your travels were
1: good. Yeah, no, uh, no trouble on the airlines for a change. I had nothing to report, but uh, crowded flights as expected. They got there and uh, came back on time. Domestic flight? Yep. Went down to Florida for a few days of sunshine. What I got instead was a day and a half of hurricane like conditions oh, <laughs> with really rain I'm and f- wind 50 miles an hour. But you know, it makes you coming back here looking <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> I was just looking at my 10 day forecast on my phone because it's what I do. And 10 days from now, the high temperature will be 55 degrees.
1: Yeah, you know, winter, I think last Friday was our last official day of winter. At least that's what I've got in my head.
0: I know, I know. I'm going to be disappointed if it ever snows again. It's (laughs) just the second week of February. Heck, it's only February 7th. So let's just talk a little bit about a few things on your mind today. Do you want to start with um, something on the Fed?
1: Sure. Um, it's interesting. We've been hearing about how the Fed you know, just raised interest rates, the federal funds rate by a quarter of a percent. I think a lot of people were hoping that that was going to be it. But the Minneapolis Fed president, Neil Kashkari, said today that explosive job growth is evidence that the central bank has more work to do. And when you kind of look at what happened on Friday with the number of jobs created at five hundred and seventy-one thousand, literally blowing by multiple times everybody's estimates. I mean, it just blew it right out of the water. There's some concern that you know that we're really not going to be able to get inflation down unless we get the job market slowing a little bit.
0: It's just amazing that good economic news like that is either working against us or the Fed is working against that. That we, I guess. You know, the numbers are and the economic machinations, the gears are what they are. But if we have that sort of employment that is historically low unemployment, then the Fed's going to have to keep the interest rates up, right?
1: Well, you know, it's, it's yes, is the short answer there. It gets a little bit more complicated because, you know, what does it mean to have, you know, full unemployment, right, or full employment, which is actually anything under five percent is considered full employment for the u.s because there's always some people in the middle of changing jobs or companies aren't doing well or what have you Uh, and so we're at 3.4 percent. i mean this is just an incredible number literally there are more than two jobs available for anybody who's looking for a job and so companies poach people they get big raises that causes prices to go up. So you can imagine, you know, how we're getting eaten up a little bit by our own success story. Now, you could change this in a couple of other ways, right? It doesn't it's just that you have to raise interest rates, right? You could also just open up and let more people in to take up some of those jobs. And there's problems, structural problems and political problems with doing that. And I'm not going to touch those. That's not my area of expertise, but getting more people in, To take some of those jobs and sop up that uh, excess need that we seem to have right now in this country for workers would also help.
0: So we have another increase, or we have another um, adjustment, if you will, that's going to take place in February. They skip March, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think we're going to see it go up another quarter of a percent. But the Fed seems that they are on on a path to keep raising interest rates up until they hit somewhere the borrowing rate of around 5.5%. That should put mortgage interest rates back over 6%, and maybe then some, maybe 7%, and that should continue to slow things down. Now, we are seeing this continued slowdown in the housing market. Yeah, I was
0: just going to say that we don't need to slow the housing market down, do we?
1: We don't, um, but there's other parts of the housing market that uh, don't seem to be slowing down particularly. So it'll be interesting to see if it has... I'm sure, John, it won't have the result in the exact way the Fed hopes, but it'll be interesting to see how it runs out nonetheless.
0: Uh, Pete just whispered in my ear, too, March, they skip April, so we'll have a meeting Uh. in March. Thank you for that. Hey, John Williams, please ask Elise, why do we consider or call this a bad economy? Are we phrasing this incorrectly? Wouldn't it be more apt to call it a hot economy, as in the economy is too hot? What's your thought about that, Elise?
1: I actually think it's a very good economy. Uh, I don't know why people think this is a bad economy. I don't know why people refer to it as a bad economy. I would say it's a hot job market. So if you want to find a new job and get more money, you absolutely can do that. Uh, I think that we're seeing the supply chain kinks start to come out, which is great. You saw that in the job numbers. There was a lot of a lot of movement in um, like trucking and transportation uh, a lot of people got hired last month to help do that. And that's unkinking that. So that helps with inflation and some other things. Um, I also think we're seeing, you know, just a, a nice, other than real estate, which, you know, <laughs> it's kind of on hold right now. Um, you're basically seeing, you know, solid movement uh, in a lot of places. Productivity um, looks good. You know, just in the tech sector, we're seeing a little bit of softening. Uh, particularly in places like advertising. But it gets a lot of attention, John, but it's not actually a huge part of the economy.
0: Hmm. I want to um, also bring up uh, this uh, story from CNBC about the uh, turnaround that Ron Barron got for his investment in Tesla. Talk about that.
1: Well... I just want to say that for everybody who feels like, yeah, yeah, for Twitter, for everybody who feels like, you know, they're not getting ahead in their investments and you feel bad, you know, I mean, the market's up today, smartly, I might say, but you know, you feel bad because you're not making as much money as the rich guys. Okay. So Ron Barron's a billionaire and Elon Musk told him he would make quote, two to three times his money if he invested a hundred million in Musk's takeover of Twitter. Right. And so Barron made a lot of money in Tesla and he's like, oh, two to three times my money. Who wouldn't want to make that? And so he invested one hundred million dollars in Twitter. Safe to say it's not worth one hundred million anymore. And it certainly isn't worth more. But the lesson there is that even billionaires can fall for, you know, rhetoric. And if anybody ever promises you or guarantees you a return on your money, you see that a lot in crypto. Run the other way.
0: Here's a quote from him. He said about Elon Musk, this Ron Barron guy, the billionaire, who said that, in fact, Musk has made him $5 billion with his investments and the return on them. Imagine that. But he said, he's the best known man in the world, I guess, Barron said about Elon Musk. Everyone else spends $1,000 to market a car. He spends nothing because everyone knows Twitter. And I, I wonder if the association with Elon Musk and his car company is today a selling point for those vehicles.
1: So, you know, that's a good question. So then why did Ron Barron make this investment? Did he make the investment because Elon Musk is the most followed person on Twitter? And so this is like marketing money? And if it hits, great. And if it doesn't, you know, out of his $5 billion, this is $100 million? Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, I think, though, that Nobody likes to lose money and billionaires really don't like to lose money and they don't like to lose $100 million of their money. Right. So it, it's interesting. I, I mean, the lesson for all of us, again, is, you know, this kind of stuff isn't, a, these sorts of investments aren't available to you or me or, or any of our listeners, basically. But the lesson of, you know, don't believe everything you hear And, you know, yes, I can guarantee you, Mr. Madoff said, um, a a steady return on your money. Always be suspect.
0: Well, I'm just thinking about the person who's contemplating buying an electric car and they want to buy maybe a Tesla. If the association with Elon Musk is a helping thing or a hurting thing right now, it's sort of like if you wanted to stay in a hotel in Chicago, you could stay at the Trump Hotel. Does the name on the side of the building Improve business or hurt business, and I wonder if if Elon Musk is somehow working against his own best interests sometimes.
1: I think that's probably true. And the truth is he only gets 24 hours a day, just like everybody else. And his time is divided now between Twitter, where apparently he's sleeping on the floor, as if that's going to help, you know, Tesla, where people wish he would spend a little bit more time and energy, SpaceX, which has just sent up another round of satellites uh, to make communications easier. The um, uh, Boring Company, B-O-R-I-N-G, the Boring Company, which is apparently trying to build um, underground travel, you know, and and a high-speed way to get from San Francisco to to Los Angeles to Las Vegas, um, and probably several other companies that i like. I think he's got some sort of big battery company on top of Tesla. So Elon Musk has 24 hours and is running seven companies, and eventually... You reach a limit to that. There's some mathematical equation that I am not smart enough to elucidate for all of you on the radio today. But I do know that with 24 hours in a day, you cannot, there's, there's a finite number of companies that any yeah. brilliant person can run.
0: Talk to me about Valentine's Day. Uh, how much money do we spend? How does that rank?
1: Yeah, this year Americans are probably going to spend almost $193. Um, that is according to some of the retail. Estimates. Uh, we're also seeing that that's up from $175 last year. That includes candy, cards, flowers, other gifts for friends, loved ones, classmates, coworkers. It does not include anybody proposing with a diamond ring. <laughs> However, that's a little bit extra. This comes to us from the Lending Tree Survey. Um, those who are already in a relationship are going to spend $187 on their significant others, so a little bit less than if you're... Dating, I, I suppose, and not in a, a permanent relationship. And one of the things to keep in mind is that Americans are already at the highest amount of credit card debt in history. And they're probably going to go into more debt just to afford this sort of stuff. Uh, 27% of couples are going to have to rely on credit cards to fund their Valentine's Day costs. Yeah. And I think that's just a bad bet.
0: I got 60 seconds left. What is your reaction to this um experts list of ways to save money on Valentine's Day one of them is postpone the celebration starting February 15th everything related to Valentine's Day will be significantly marked down so you can get a card roses and a reservation for a lot less on Wednesday than say on Tuesday how would you feel if that was how your significant other said let's celebrate Valentine's Day
1: I think what I would love, personally, is a beautiful handmade card, uh, a handmade plate of brownies, and an invitation to join me on Saturday night for a bigger celebration, simply because Valentine's Day is in the middle of the week. So I agree with that uh, thinking. Um, and just as a, a note, you know, Valentine's Day is cost more, even at Costco, where roses are going to cost you two times what they'll cost you starting on the 16th.
0: Elise Glink, you can visit ThinkGlink dot com and listen for um, best money moves. Well, no, actually, this week in Wealth is the, yep. the show that you do. Oh, by the way, did you see what? Um, let me see if I have it real handy. I got a pile of papers here. We asked ChatGPT to describe you to us. Oh no! <laughs> um, hold on a second. Elise Glink is an American journalist, author, and radio talk show host. So far, so good. Mm. She is best known for her writing on personal finance and real estate and is the author of several books on these subjects. Glink is also the host of the nationally syndicated radio show Real Estate Minute. Is that still true?
1: Not anymore, but I was <laughs> uh, like a long time ago.
0: Well, it's not updated to 2023, I understand. The database it's pulling from is right now in its infancy, so I think it goes up to 2001 or, or 21 But um, So no mention of, this is what caused me to think of it, This Week in Wealth with Tom, Sunday morning at 7. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch. We're visiting with Dennis Rodkin, who joins us frequently to talk about real estate. You know, I was just thinking about this a moment ago. And by the way, you are the residential real estate reporter at Cranes. You can find his writing at chicagobusiness.com. Where are we on the Super Bowl Sunday is the day the real estate market bounces back or gets into high gear?
2: You know, John, it's going to be interesting to see if we are back to that, because during COVID, our seasonal cycle really got broken. We were having such so many sales in December, January, February. Super Bowl didn't matter anymore. No old rules mattered anymore. But it does appear that we're back to a cyclical to a seasonal cycle. And so it's possible that the Super Bowl will kick off the season again this year for the first time in three
0: Such as it will be. I mean, interest rates are going to make it not robust, right?
2: Well, yes. Sales are down. Sales have been running about 30 to 40% below what they were same time last year and year before. Um, And that has a lot to do with interest rates. But it also has to do with the fact that so many people traded homes during the boom that there aren't that many homes still to put on the market, right? I mean, we had such a surge in sales that There's just not that much that you can sell still. And interest rates have gone up. Uh, And we don't have that incredible demand for a bigger house because I'm working at home. My kids are going to school at home. There's not quite the urgency to move that there was. Though, of course, we still have, I got married, I had kids, I got divorced, I'm downsizing, I need a new home, and that's not going to change.
0: What was the um, factoid that came out last week that uh, single women buy more homes than single men single women buy more homes than single men michael che on saturday night live during their weekend update said it's due to a phenomenon known as divorce
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think well and also planning a little bit more planning for your future i mean i don't want to sound sexist but i think women are more likely to do that uh, i think long term
0: i'm a little confused by that statistic though because divorced men now have to find a place to live presumably as single as the, the woman is, I don't know where the kids are, but I mean, um, you would think that divorce would split the real estate market in half. Somehow or another, it skews more to the women, I guess.
2: Uh, or as a divorced man, I rent for a while while I sort of wander around and wait for my next
0: marriage. Move in with your mom and dad or the guys. With the guys well, and so then marry and buy again. Where is the sh- uh, real estate market in Chicago then? it's been pretty flat.
2: Prices have been, um, I said in a story, they've reached their happy place. Prices were surging still in the first half of 2022 and had been all the way through 2021. But since interest rates started started rising and since we started worrying about a, a recession, which we're not doing quite as much of now, um, sales dropped dramatically. Prices some air came out of the prices, but, but as you and I have discussed, our prices didn't run up the way they did in Phoenix or Austin or San Francisco, so they haven't come down as much either. Um, the, the gap started to narrow. We have not seen prices fall below in, in 2022, fall below 2021, or in early 2023, fall below 2022 yet. Um, they've been for about 12 weeks. They've been flat.
0: Uh, you did say in uh, chicagobusiness.com, it's Cranes, that in the Chicago area, uh, last week, $275,500 was the median home price, 275 Yeah. I guess that sounds about right. That's uh, relatively low for a lot of Chicago. It but is. I guess you've got neighborhoods which are discounted or uh, are, aren't as expensive, so 275 is our median. There's and that data is for
2: below. a nine-county region, so you're talking about ranch houses in the far far distant suburbs just as much as you're talking about a penthouse across the river from us here and there are more of the ranch houses than there
0: are penthouses you said home prices were up more than six percent in lagrange lagrange park western springs and hinsdale Uh, well those are always been nice areas they are and those are places where many people may have been buying paying cash
2: uh, I don't necessarily need a uh, a mortgage. I can buy with cash, so I'm not too concerned about interest rates. Really? Oh, and I'm affluent, and the different the difference that interest rates might make in what I can spend is not as Uh, significant to me. If I'm a, you know, if I'm a lower paid worker looking in the $150,000 range for a home, the difference in interest rate, when interest rates go up, what I can afford, the size home I can afford, changes far more dramatically. And those are the
0: people who left the market very quickly. Uh, LaGrange Park is not Hinsdale. Those are... Compl- I lived in LaGrange Park. I drove through Hinsdale the other day. We were <laughs> driving through Hinsdale the other day and just kind of marveling at it. You know, we were doing that. Who are these people? Yeah. Yeah. It's just... It's just... It's spectacular. <laughs> and I guess, you know, the northern suburbs are that way too, or neighborhoods, but I don't get up that way that often. But you drive through Hinsdale and you see the landscaping yeah. and, and just the real estate... And you just – I wonder if those people just click their heels every day or – it would be interesting to see a survey. Make money by clicking their heels, you mean? (laughs) They probably do. I I suppose they're all business owners and – I think a lot of it is stock, is
2: investment wealth, stock market, et cetera. There also are um, inheritances. But, yeah, there are are high-income people who – are, have, been in, have been coursing through the market in the past couple of years because just like that person in a two-bedroom apartment who wanted a three-bedroom condo because, again, working at home, they needed to move up. They needed to get bigger. Um, this is why the Lake Forest Market revived is those houses I had written for years about how those houses were too far away from the city, too big, too old. And then COVID comes along and people said, you know, I want a huge lawn. I want that multiple acres of lawn, and I want a library for your office and another room for my office and a room for the uh, kids to have a classroom. And so those houses started moving fast again.
0: Boy, remember that, the concept of a room dedicated for the kids to learn in, which I don't know what we're doing with those now, uh, but uh, we're not doing much hybrid learning anymore. No. Um, Talk about this Frank Lloyd Wright Roby House knockoff.
2: This one is so interesting, it's already under contract. When I wrote about it, it had just come on the, on the market. It went under contract in six days. This is in Edgebrook on what some people call the north side, others call the northwest side, uh, up by where Chicago touches Niles. In 1992, somebody built a essentially a, a tribute to Robie House. Robie House is the one of Frank Lloyd Wright's most famous homes uh, on Woodlawn Avenue in Hyde Park very important landmark, very well known, one of his best known houses. And then 17 miles away, somebody builds a tribute to it. It's not a twin. It's not an exact replica. There are differences, but it has a, it, it is based directly on Roby House. And I spoke to an architecture, uh, a, a restoration architect who deals with a lot of right houses. And I said, you know, where would you rank this on a scale of one to 10? He said eight. And I said, well, have you seen 9s and 10s? And he said, no. So that's how close it comes. It's got the overhanging eaves. It's got the real broad, horizontal pull. And then you go inside, and the main rooms are a tribute to Wright. There's the the fireplace in the center of the house. There are the brick piers separating the windows. There's the open space. When you get to the kitchen, the bedrooms, they didn't, they didn't keep the right thing going, but um, they put it on the—these are not the people who built it. They bought it just a few years ago. Put it on the market uh, at 924, nine twenty-four nine nine hundred twenty-four thousand nine hundred, and in six days, put it under contract.
0: 3,600 square feet, four bedrooms. Nice house. Really nice house.
2: Wow. Some people aren't as excited about it. Some people on Twitter were saying, uh, it's, it's not a Frank Lloyd right, it's a Frank Lloyd wrong. There are, there are things that depart from right. I'm surprised but, more
0: people don't do this.
2: Uh, it, well, you know, actually, a lot of people did in the 90s, early 2000s. I see a lot of them that don't come this close, that, that just don't quite
0: have it. This one comes a lot closer to really being a tribute to him. So the other ones might look like bland mid-century houses and not, ooh, you've got a Frank Lloyd Wright house. Well,
2: or there's just something that's not quite there. They're just a little too big. The uh-huh. lines are just—there
0: There are a lot of them out there. Uh, believe me, they, they cross my screen all the time, John. It's at 1245. We'll pick it up here in a minute. Dennis Rodkin's in our studio. This is WGN Radio. We've got another business minute, um, uh, more business news, rather, with Steve
3: Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Trust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. The CBS Health acquisition of Chicago-based Oak Street Health is almost a done deal. The Wall Street Journal reports the sale price will likely be $10.5 billion, including debt. It values Oak Street at $39 a share. Oak Street Health provides primary care to Medicare patients and focuses on frequent checkups, preventative screenings, and social worker intervention to reduce overall medical costs. The deal will allow CVS to expand from its pharmacy roots into primary health care. Illinois is launching a $40 million grant program to create large development-ready areas known as mega-sites across the state. Those sites would be ready for occupancy for manufacturers, distribution centers, industrial centers, and more. The grant program is open to governments, private businesses, or nonprofits to support site development in order to attract large-scale industrial investments in underutilized areas and former industrial sites. Illinois is hoping the sites will help make the state more competitive, especially to rapidly expanding clean energy and manufacturing sectors. I'm Steve Grizanich
4: and that's your Wind Trust Business Minute.
0: Now the business of food, here's Steve Alexander
4: okay lover boy and girl the big day is a week away valentine's day which i will talk about after i thank our sponsor the chevy silverado hd experience your life in hd visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. if i didn't have this job which i do love i'd hope to have one that sounds as fun as chad womax he is
5: the director of brock's seasonal marketing Ferrara candy company.
4: Which means his job is all about candy and he's involved in deciding what fun ways Brock's is going to sell candy to us and I guess you've got something special for Valentine's Day?
5: Yeah, we do. We're excited. We've got a limited time offering of a Brock's Conversation Heart that is uh, partnering with Friends, the television show.
4: That's right. Those iconic, chalky candy hearts that have been around forever.
5: Watermelon, strawberry, blueberry, pineapple, cherry, and orange.
4: With 26 lines from the TV show, laser printed on the candy hearts such as
5: we
0: were on a
5: break and we actually did a poll on our uh, uh, social feed and 80 percent plus agreed that they were definitely on a break
4: and some of the others
5: how you doing oh my god you're my lobster moo point the one with wah paw hand twin duck sandwich and
4: has <laughs> Some deep tracks there for Friends fans. So, a product partnering with a TV show that's over 20 years old would seem risky, except
5: that... Now with streaming, it's more relevant with the younger generations. And the young
4: fans are into it?
5: Yeah, the response has been overwhelming.
4: And here's how they make the Tiny Hearts. It starts out with uh, kind of like a sheet of dough.
5: That dough, basically, once it's cooled, we have a laser printer that prints the, the words onto the candy. And we actually uh, stamp out or cut the hearts. So it's almost, think of it like a a
4: cookie cutter. And they are Chicago's very own.
5: We have multiple uh, production locations, but these are being packaged in Forest Park near the Eisenhower.
4: Chad Womack of Brock's and Ferrara Candy. Uh, Go ahead and play us out, Chad. Gunther.
5: Ross, Rachel.
4: From the farm to your belly, today's National Fettuccine Alfredo Day.
5: Pivot, Latte.
4: That's the business of food on 720 WGN.
5: Monica,
0: Phoebe, Chandler, Joey. Dennis Rodkin writes about real estate, residential real estate for Cranes. Read his stuff in chicagobusiness.com. You wrote about the phantom building of the Gold Coast. (laughs) This this is really my favorite
2: story of recent months. Uh, Yeah, there is a building on Dearborn. It's 10 units now, 10 condos now. It was a, uh, it's was it been downsized uh, from a 50-unit hotel to a 27 apartments. The, the building hasn't gotten smaller. The units have gotten built bigger. The count has gotten smaller. And it has been empty, as far as we can tell, since 1995. It has gone from hotel to apartments to condos. Same owner since the mid-'90s. He has done a lot of renovation. And as I said in the story, as you're aware... He's up to date on his uh, property taxes. He's up to date. There are no um, uh, city complaints against him. The last one was about 10 years ago when his dumpster was too full. But the building is either empty or nearly empty. There may be somebody living in one of the units. It's a 10 unit. uh, It's you know, it's a classic courtyard building. It's what everybody knows in Chicago, that big U-shaped building. These condos would be worth bare minimum, the real estate sources told me, um, would be worth bare minimum $500,000. We don't know how they're finished inside, so they could be worth far more. Um, And it's just been sitting empty. And the building is in good shape. Building's in great shape. If I walked by it, I wouldn't say it's an eyesore. No, you definitely would not. Very nicely landscaped, nicely tended. Uh, In the back on the alley, the garage doors don't have graffiti or anything. What you would find... Both on the sidewalk, the gate on the sidewalk and on the garage door is padlocks, which you don't, you know, if there are people living in 10 units, those aren't going to be padlocked. Uh, But otherwise, you would not think anything of it. It's not a
0: receivership? Somebody owns this? Who owns this? The man man
2: who owns it, I believe, lives in Florida. He has not responded to any of my requests. Um, I have emailed him, called him. I have even, like in the old days, written him a letter. Mailed him a letter with a stamp on it. I had to figure out how to do that again, and he has not responded. I've had people give me phone numbers for him. Um, I've tried very hard to reach him because I'd like to find out. You know, so he's not breaking any laws. The building is empty, but nothing is falling off the roof and hurting but people. But it's
0: generating, but for maybe one tenant, no income then for him.
2: And that's what I, how can you afford that? You're paying, he's paid over a million dollars in property taxes in the time he's had it. What's the annual outlay? Uh, $73,000 last year, and it's up to date. It's all paid. Uh, and one of the things a lot of people have said to me is, you know, there are buildings in Englewood, there are buildings in Woodlawn, there are buildings in Austin that have sat empty for just as long. Aren't they a problem? Aren't, aren't they the same thing? The difference is that a lot of those are boarded up, uh, sometimes not well. There might be decay inside. There might They might be turning into drug and crime crime buildings um, they're contributing to the decay in the neighborhood they're contributing to the poor image of the neighborhood this one is not that this one looks great um, you might just think everybody who lives there is in Florida for the winter.
0: So it's a hotel converted to apartments and then condominiums. You right. said a 50-unit hotel. So there must be some space in these rooms. They must be large. It's big.
2: Yeah. Spaces. Well, if you think of 50 rooms turned into 10 condos, um, yeah, they're probably, uh, they're probably really big. And as I said, they're worth, at bare minimum, about $500,000. Just sitting there. Just sitting there. I thought I could get an answer. I tried, So I pursued this story 10 years ago, John, <laughs> and I couldn't get an answer then. And this came back up on Twitter during the holidays, somebody posted something about, this thing is always empty. Does anybody know? And somebody flagged me and said, could you find out? And I went back and found virtually nothing has changed in the 10 years since I last lived uh, looked into it. And really, nothing has changed since 1995. There's been work done on the building. Really? But it's been empty. So yeah.
0: he's keeping it up. It could be an event space. It could be returned to a hotel or just sell the condos. Sell right? the condos. Yeah, and we have no idea.
2: I would, I'm wishing, I'm hoping... That one of my phone calls or or that letter I wrote him gets to him and he calls and says, "Oh, you know, this is the reason. I just I couldn't find the right shade of blue paint or whatever it is. Um, but we have there are theories all over town about why it's empty. I couldn't document any of them. He'd really be the person who could tell me, and I haven't reached him yet."
0: You can read the story further. It's called "This Gold Coast Building Has Been Empty Since the 1990s." Nobody Knows Why, Dennis Rodkin, chicagobusiness.com, as well as other stories. That's always fun. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks, John. Man.